0: Someone described a rut and said a rut is a grave with both ends kicked out. There are a lot of of dying marriages where people have gone ahead and put their marriage in the casket and in the grave. I'm just telling you, you, you you can make a difference. You take ownership of the things that you can do better rather than pointing out all the things that the other person needs to be doing better. And you invite God in the process and I'm telling you what, you can have a strong marriage.
1: Welcome to the next episode of What's Next with Eric Wood. Our next guests are Dave and Beth Stone. First time ever, two guests on the podcast. First time having a woman on the podcast. And I'm very excited to interview them today. Dave was at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky for 30 years. In the last 13 years, while Dave served as senior pastor... Over 19,000 men, women, and children decided to follow Jesus and be baptized at Southeast. Over 28,000 joined the church. Davis preached in 37 states and maintains a packed itinerary. He is the author of eight books, including the parenting series, Faithful Families. One of his books, Refining Your Style, won the Preaching Magazine Book of the Year Award. He is a frequent guest on radio and television programs across the country. Dave and Beth have been married for 34 years and have hosted Leslie and I for the last six years for couples Bible study at their home. While me and Leslie both came from extremely loving and supporting families, we have learned a ton from them on marriage and raising children, and I can't wait for all the listeners to learn from them as well. Dave and Beth, thank you for coming on my podcast. Can't thank you enough for your time.
0: Hey, we are honored to be here, and it's, it's a lot of fun. We both will listen to a lot of your podcasts, so it's fun for us to get to be guests.
2: Yes, thank you for having us.
1: And you guys are probably prepped on all the uh, recurring questions for the end then. <laughs> Dave, we'll start off with you as concise as possible without ruining the story. Talk about how you guys met, where you're from, and kind of your journey into ministry.
0: Well, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, about 10 minutes away from you, Yep. and I uh, went to Oak Hills High School, went to Cincinnati Christian University, and, and pursued ministry, always wanted to preach. I served as a youth minister in my first role, and it was in Louisville, Kentucky, and Beth's family started coming there, and I taught the college-age Sunday school class, and she was in that class, and... uh I'm three and a half years older than her, and I took a real interest in in her. And uh, she helped me out on some youth activities and was a, a coach and a sponsor. And things kind of went from there.
1: Is that all factual, Beth? Uh,
2: that is true. Yeah. I kind of like the college-age teacher. So <laughs> 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 that is true. Yeah.
1: Okay, good. I believed him, too, and that's what I've heard over the years. So I will take that as fact. Dave, we'll focus more on your time at Southeast on a future podcast because I want to unpack leadership and speaking and management. And when you manage a church of that size, there are so many lessons that can be taken out into the secular world. And we'll, we'll unpack that another time. But you transitioned out recently out of full time and I'll say out of your head pastor role. And I read in a Southeast Outlook article, it said Dave does not like the word retirement It does not describe next. He will continue to teach, preach, and lead. And that sounds eerily similar to the reason I started a podcast called What's Next with Eric Wood and how much I hated the word retirement when I was simply transitioning out of the NFL. It wasn't simply retirement. Talk about how tough that decision was to move on from Southeast and how has the transition been so far?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And you and I started getting the same questions at around the same time because our transitions were around the same time. But in in my world, I had seen plenty of leaders who had outstayed uh, their effectiveness. And so with any position, whatever, whether it's a company, uh, a ministry, uh, a nonprofit, whatever it might be, a sports program, I think there's this temptation to to enjoy the perks so much that you want to stay longer. And uh, I I saw a lot of guys in, in my line of work that were doing the very same thing. And they were staying longer than they should. As a result, the organization suffered. And so actually five years before, I made the decision of when I would do it. And I only told Beth. And then the next year, I told Kyle Eidelman, who would be the person I would hand things off to, And then the year after that, I told uh, a few of our leaders at the church and a few of my closest friends, and we all kept it quiet and kept it a secret for five years. And then I felt like uh, if I didn't do that, now I had some people to hold me accountable because a lot of people will say, oh, I think I need to, you know, wrap up in three years or in five years. And I always appreciated the fact that my predecessor, Bob Russell, left when he could have continued to lead. But he knew that these were peak uh, leadership years for me in my 40s. And so he left when he still could have done it because he felt like that was best for the church and gave them a better chance to reach younger people. And so I wanted to do the same thing, give the same gift he gave to me to Kyle. And uh, if I hadn't picked that date... I think it would have just kept being in my mind, well, three to five years from now, three to five years from now. So even though I'm 58 years old, I'm glad I picked it early and I'm glad that I can now be involved in another chapter and the church can continue to grow and continue to reach the next generation.
1: Yeah, because selfishly, it was tough for me to watch you go because we were friends, we were members of the church and, and I'm also friends with Kyle and I appreciated him too. And having the two of you As a team and to see you guys rotate Sundays or rotate series was selfishly incredible for us. And when you say you didn't want to outstay your effectiveness, I I love that use of words. I just didn't necessarily agree with it at the time, because even to this day, I try and follow up with you when you preach in Chicago or preach in Phoenix. And it's it's not because it is because I want to encourage you, but it's also because I love your preaching. And Mm, I missed it. And so for me, and I love how you also said Bob Russell did the same for you. So you had a great example because I also like when Bob Russell speaks. And he is a former guest on this podcast. And it's amazing how many people reach out to me and say, man, I loved your Bob Russell podcast. These aren't Southeast members reaching out to me. These are not Southeast Christian members. These aren't even people from Louisville. These are country music singers. These are athletes. These are some are non-Christians. And they're like, but they're in speaking positions, and they say, "Man, Bob Russell can speak." And so, for him to yeah. use that example for you, and then for you to use that example in giving Kyle the reins, I commend you for it. And that's absolutely phenomenal. And then, Beth, um, oftentimes in the mix of a public figure, an athlete, uh, you know, whatever it may be, as someone running a business, there's there's a transition, and and I know for Dave it was a roast and a golf tournament that was called the Dave Stone Memorial, <laughs> in which we made a lot of jokes. Yeah. Like, we didn't know Dave was passing at this time. We really? knew he was passing a baton. But yeah. to call it the Memorial Tournament was funny. But there's all these events. And I was at the roast, and there was five, 600 people there. And they all got to hear Dave talk about you in the transition. But a lot of people don't get to interact with you. And they don't get to see you. How is that transition uh in a wife of that role because I know for my wife in particular it was a tough time we had just had a child and she lost 60 pounds but everyone was about the weight I lost and mm. we moved as a family from Buffalo and everyone kept saying Eric how bad do you miss Buffalo well Leslie loved Buffalo and she actually spent a lot more time with our neighbors and other people mm. up there than I did how was the transition for you and how's it going now
2: Well, it it definitely was a transition because it was something we had done for 30 years as a family. These were our people, and we were so involved in their lives. So to all of a sudden have that stop, it was definitely different. Um, But we immediately, I think we were preparing to have a little bit more downtime, and I was looking forward to that uh, in our life, but that didn't last long because Dave immediately began to start speaking places. And like you talked about the church, he's helping a church out in Chicago that he's preaching at twice a month and a church in Phoenix. And so our travel schedule became pretty busy at that time. Um, so I, I would just say that got busier and I was hoping we'd have some downtime, but I think looking back, it was just what we needed. As a couple, it gave me something to do and to look forward to rather than just being here. And I know it was something that he needed. Um, we talk a lot about him just being here in Louisville and not being at church. I think that would have been hard for him. So, But people were very gracious and kind and wrote us letters and sent us texts and phone calls of just appreciation of our ministry and what we had meant to them in the 30 years. So that really was sweet, and I really appreciated that. But definitely I've had to find a new normal for us, right. for me personally, because so much of what I did was involved with people at church, my staff wives that I poured into, young moms there, or a women's Bible study that I was a part of, and I'm no longer doing that because of our travel schedule, and it's it's been an adjustment, but it's also been a sweet time, I think, in our life as well.
1: That's great, and, and I don't think a lot of people understand the role of the head pastor's wife and all the hats that you wear, and have to be in the supporting role as well because each week it's working all weekend and you guys had children. I mean, there's a, just so many hats that a preacher's wife has to wear. And, and man, how you said a new normal. And, and that's what me and Leslie had to adjust to as well. And, and thank God I married a girl way out of my league who's so sweet and goes with the flow because <laughs> we had never not done – essentially long distance you know training camp is three or four weeks and I'm just gone and in the spring when I was playing in Buffalo I was gone three and a half four days a week but that was our normal and it worked and it kept our relationship so fresh well we've gotten to spend a whole lot more time together in in the past year and a half two years now with the broadcast schedule it kind of got back to that so we're kind of back in our flow but thank God that we were able to get along so well through that because you see a lot of guys in the NFL, they say 86% of guys are either broke or divorced within three years of leaving the NFL, or it might even be two years. Uh, and part of that's the financial and how they spend. Uh, but a lot of it is it's just a new norm, and these women are now yeah. put in a position that they didn't necessarily sign up for, and that's not what they're used to. So I truly appreciate you saying that. And, and one thing that I'm so glad you guys are still doing is – the couple's Bible study at your house that I've, uh, me and Leslie have been a part of for over six years now. And the reason I wanted to do this podcast with both of you is because over the years, me and Leslie have gotten so much just valuable information on our marriage, on raising kids from you guys that, you guys have poured into so many couples, and there's so many couples walking around Louisville that have the same experience as us. But there's no way for you guys to reach everybody. And not that this podcast will reach everybody, but it's going to reach so many more. And, and so I'm excited about digging in on some marriage tips and parenting tips. And I'll say it before you guys even say it. No, you guys aren't perfect. But when me and Leslie first got started getting very serious and once we started having kids, similar to playing football, you earmark – couples that you want to be like and and you guys are one of a number of couples that we have said man Mm. their family dynamic is incredible we want to learn from them and I think that's healthy to do at all times not necessarily put people on pedestals and not say they're perfect but to learn from them and and through this podcast I'm hoping we people just receive nuggets that they can use in their lives like me and Leslie find ourselves doing on a daily basis with stuff we got from your uh guys Bible study and I'll start off asking the first question in your guys' relationship, what practice or practices have been the most beneficial to your relationship as a couple?
0: Well, we've had uh, a number of different ones, and Beth, you chime in wherever you want to, babe.
1: Uh, but I think of
0: date nights, we, we didn't do it as uh, regularly as some people do, but we tried to have a date night every two or three weeks, and uh, we also worked really hard at uh on my day off i had a stretch where i I didn't do real good at taking a day off and god kind of had to get my attention
1: what's the preacher's day
0: off monday uh it's either monday or friday typically and i always feel terrible on a monday after preaching so much so i'm like why would i want that to be my day off (laughs) you know why do i want to feel terrible on a monday so i usually took friday off and um that's a, a good day. It forces you to get your sermon done a little bit earlier and then to wrap it up on Saturdays. But, uh, you know, I, I think another healthy habit for us was we chose very early on that we were going to pray together every night. And uh, we try to go to bed at the same time. That, that didn't always work based on whatever was going on, but we would always connect to pray. And it might be something as simple as just, Lord, thank you. For today, thank you for my wife and our, our family and use us to your glory. Just something as simple as that, but uh that's been a great connecting point for us every single night of of our married life.
2: Yes, I would agree. That's been that's been a gift to us. Um another thing is that some a couple when we were younger um, encouraged us to get away together, just us and leave the kids behind. And I know sometimes that's easier said than done Uh, you may not have the finances or or means to do that or somebody to leave your kids with but we really made that a priority and his speaking schedule allowed him to get away and to do that and we really tried to um, make it a priority to to leave the kids and that I could go with him and one thing I appreciate is that he really encouraged me in that Um, it wasn't only other people telling me I need to do that, but he would encourage me. And it wasn't always easy because you would have to find somebody for, to be with the kids. And I might be nervous about who do I want to leave them with, but it ended up being such a gift to us, just being away, just the two of us. And it doesn't mean it has to be someplace really nice or expensive, but just to get away where you're not with the kids.
0: And I think of, of just all the different people that we would have, because we would pick a sharp young couple and we'd have them watch our kids. So what we were doing was we were trying to give them role models that they could look up to. Right. And, uh, I mean, they, would, they wouldn't they want us to come home. I remember one gal, uh, she was a, a ladybird and uh, just a, a super gal, and she taught our kids the Napoleon Dynamite dance. And when we came home, they all said, you sit on that couch, sit on the couch, and they did the whole Napoleon Dynamite dance, you know. Uh Chris and Ashley Redman stayed with the kids for three days one time when we were out of town. And Chris went out and played football with all the neighborhood kids. And to this day, Brett Bennett, who is probably 26 or 27 Says I picked off a pass from Chris Redmond, you know, that's in funny. the neighborhood. So
1: he's not the only one walking around saying that. Uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Ha-dump,
0: boom. Yeah. But yeah, so those weather, those weather. type of things of role models that they yeah. they wanted to be with and that they looked up to spiritually and relationally and vocationally. So
2: yeah, that was that was neat for our kids to get to be around those people, and then it benefited us as well. So
1: that's awesome, and I love how you guys encourage couples to take trips themselves. Cause at, when me and Leslie first started having kids, we were so used to traveling because our off season would hit and financially we could travel. We were passionate about seeing some places. Well, when we first had grace, we're like, okay, is this over for us? You know, are we done traveling? And that gave us peace of mind to know like, okay, we can get away and it's good for us. And it's, yes, it's time away and we're going to miss grace, but that's probably a good thing you know, to to really miss her. Dave, you mentioned the date nights early, and one thing I got from you that I want you to speak on a little bit more is what you would do on the day of a date night with the kids.
0: Yeah, so I can remember we, we had three kids, two girls and then a boy, and uh, we would play it up really big. And um, a lot of psychiatrists will, will say that a kid gets his security based upon mom and dad's interaction and their communication – and when they see mom and dad uh, really feeling good together, then the child feels good. And that that makes sense. But we would be getting ready. I'd be in the other bathroom getting ready. And Beth would be in, in our bathroom getting ready. And the kids would run back and forth. and Sadie would say, where are you taking her? I said, well, I'm taking her to a really nice restaurant. Oh, really? She'd run over to the other bathroom. He's taking her to a really nice restaurant. Oh, wow, that's great, great. You know, what what are you going to do? And go back and forth. And finally, after about three times of me getting so excited and saying how awesome this was going to be, Sadie would look up at me with her big brown eyes and she'd say, can I go too? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And uh, I know this is going to sound cold to the listeners, but I would look at her and I would say, no, ma'am, you cannot go, because I have a date with the most beautiful woman in all the world, and you are not invited. And uh, on the surface, that might sound, oh, man, how can you, you know, lay a kid out like that, you know, we pouring her heart out. But when that babysitter puts her to bed that night, uh, she falls asleep, because she falls asleep knowing that her mom loves her dad, and her dad loves her mom. So and, powerful. Uh, and... You know.
2: You're gonna make me cry.
0: <laughs> no. We've had some good dates together. And and you know really where you go no it doesn't just, matter at all. I mean, I can't right. tell you how many days off we sat in a Wendy's parking lot uh for, for lunch just because we would go someplace and they had a dollar menu thing, you know, and on the overnight trips, I mean you just look for things where you can get a deal somewhere and It really didn't have to be anything spectacular. It was just the fact that you were getting out of the area code. So if you're listening, you want to do something for your wife, you plan a a night away and you get someone that you have great high trust in that watches your kids and you give her a special, special time, get her a gift card to a spa for a massage or a facial. You will be a king in in her eyes.
1: I've stolen the building up the date night and and i can't tell you how much my little girl grace loves it and you know i'll wake her up in the morning with guess what daddy gets to do tonight Uh and i'll i I mean i stole it 100 percent from you because i've heard uh, the story a couple times through the bible study but i'll say daddy gets to take the most beautiful girl on a date tonight and i'll i'll build it up all day and i'll say we're going somewhere fancy and then Grace will say, oh, Daddy, you're going to put on a handsome outfit, too? Oh. And, and so then, you know, sometimes before we go, Grace will want to get in a picture, too, with us. Or, you know, she she gets to get, you know, Derby Day. Oh. You know, me and Grace yeah. will get a picture as well. And she'll go put on, like, a Cinderella dress or a bell dress or something. Oh, I, and we get the biggest kick out of it. Well, I would have never known that. You well, know, look it,
0: Look at what you're modeling for her. Because oh, here, here's what's going to happen. See, I get, I get emotional on this because when she's in high school when she's in college when when you have trained her and she's left home now she's going to measure a guy who takes an interest in her she's going to measure whether that's true love or not based upon what she saw her dad the way he he loved and and spoke about is is uh his wife her mom and so you know you're you are sending all these messages to her that i want to have a relationship like that i want my dad to think that uh, I mean, my, I want my husband to think that I am the uh, the most beautiful gal in the world, and she's taking all these things in right now.
1: And he better—he's a dead man. <laughs> you <know>? That's exactly <laughs> right. And, <Yeah>. But <laughs> and and, uh, and I've been <laughs> posting on social media lately my daddy-daughter dates, and I um, love seeing those. Yeah. And and that was a recommendation from another couple that we've learned a lot yeah. from in town. Ronnie and Tish Cordray who yeah, are, are great friends of your all's and Ronnie had t- given me some advice on that and, and so did another buddy in town Paul Perconi he also gave me some advice through the broadcast season hey you you need if you're going to be more of the disciplinary around the house and you're three and a half days home you can't be the bad guy all the time you, or else your kids are going to resent you being home they did it for me you know here's what I suggest so piggybacking on a couple of those while i take grace on dates and i post them and i'll have my buddies respond when we go get sushi and (laughs) and full disclosure when everyone thinks we're going out for these super nice sushi meals grace is eating an avocado roll that costs about three dollars (laughs) and fifty cents it's avocado and rice but she loves it and she knows i i hope she doesn't just do it because she knows i love sushi so much and that's my favorite food but now she claims that her favorite food but all my buddies will text me like man I feel bad for her future husband, <laughs> and I'm like, well, if he really wants to take Grace out for sushi, and he can't afford it. I'll give him some money to do it it if, three bucks. Uh, if he's You're still, if she's still hot. drinking yeah. or still uh, eating uh, avocado rolls, uh. but I'm like, good. I hope the bar set high because right. that's my little girl, and right. and I hope that she sees me treat her mom like that. And 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 um, man, I, I love that's the great. building up the date nights, and and that. It makes it almost a whole day affair too, and not just the night out. Yeah. How long have you guys been married for?
0: Thirty-four. 34. <laughs> yes, yes, we got unison. it. Thirty-four years. We didn't even yeah. talk about that yeah, today. We
1: well, did. when you answer, in, it.
0: it gets so long.
1: When you answer in unison like that, then this question probably has never applied to you guys. But for couples out there that have ever hit a rut in their relationship, or maybe they're in a rut right now. How do you get that spark back in in a lot? You know, we're at I'm at the age where everyone's got young kids. A lot of my buddies are working a lot more hours than they want to. And it's just they're almost growing apart. What would you guys give as a suggestion for that?
2: Yeah, I see that so much. It's our schedules. It's our, we don't intend to do that. You get, you're doing life and you're just getting busy. And before you know it, you're not taking the time for each other. One thing going back to talking about our Bible study that we've had with young couples, we've been doing that now for 15 years, 16 years, I think, um, is you all keep us fresh and in not allowing us to get in, in a rut.
0: Yeah, there's positive peer pressure. And there's, you see other healthy couples, and so yeah. when somebody is sitting on a couch and they hear Eric and Leslie speak up, or Stephen and Samantha, or you know K- Christina and David, and they say something. Then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I'm not the only person that's trying to have a healthy marriage, and be good parents, and uh, and raise my kids right. So there's great things that come out of surrounding yourself. I, I see a lot of a lot of people who. Their marriage is in a rut because everybody that they spend time with, their marriages are in a rut. Mm -hmm. And, you know, show me your friends. I'll show you your future. And if all the people that you hang out with are people who have failing marriages or they talk down about their spouse, guess what? Eventually, you'll start doing it just to fit in because that's the norm. And so sometimes you have to change your peer group and you have to look for people that actually want to uh, to go against the current of society and say, hey, we, we want our marriage to to succeed. And we've had ruts in our marriage. I'd say the ruts that we've had are, are when uh, we get going our own ways. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if let's say I've had a long trip and I've been away from her for four or five days and she was watching the kids that whole time and then I come back and now I'm trying to catch up at work. And so you kind of start going your own routes and you have to have those reconnection points and you have to find those things where where you can pour into one another. And you have to remember why it was that you married this person in the first place. Mm-hmm. And if you really love this person, then you're going to want it to succeed. And so you're going to make that investment. And that means that there's been some times where I planned some, uh, some special date night for us to go. Or maybe I remember one night we... We went to a place, uh, a real nice hotel, and I couldn't wait for that night because we hadn't been together much. And we sat down on that bed, and uh, it didn't go the way I wanted, Eric, because she dug in on some things where I'd been slacking off and where she felt hurt because I had not been giving her the time and attention that she deserved. Now, that's not what I had in mind when I— I got this hotel room for the night. That was that was not at the top of my list. It wasn't even on the list, to be honest with you. But that two-hour discussion led to little tweaks in our marriage that helped us to have a, a better marriage because of it.
2: Yes, and I would say you have to recognize those ruts. And when it, when you recognize that you're in that, do something about it. And then it can become, it can go on longer and longer. But I knew that night, that's not really what I wanted to do either. But I knew if we didn't, who knows where it might lead. But I just knew we needed to talk about our schedules being too busy and not spend enough time to, with each other. And so we were allowed yeah. to do that. But and recognize it and then be intentional about, okay, what can we do to change it?
0: Someone <laughs> described a rut and said a rut is a grave with both ends kicked out. Wow. And uh, there are a lot of, of dying marriages where people have gone ahead and put their marriage in the casket and in the grave. And uh, I know there are people who are listening right now who are right. They're teetering. Uh, they're at that tipping point. And I'm just telling you, you, you can you can make a difference and you can say you take ownership of the things that you can do better rather than pointing out all the things that the other person needs to be doing better. And you invite God in the process, and I'm telling you what, you can have a strong marriage.
1: That's great, and, and I love how, Beth, you said that you have to do something about it because a marriage is hmm. something you have to work at because it's, it doesn't always come easy, and there's stressors in life that are always going to hit you and try and pull you apart. And then one thing I love that you mentioned, Dave, is is not talking bad about your spouse when the, hmm. when the, when they're not around. And that's something that we had heard over the years. And and now that I'm saying on the podcast, I give all my buddies listening and anyone I come in contact with permission to correct me because I don't ever want to do that. Yeah. And I and I try <laughs> to be very intentional about that and, and make and, and and now it registers with me when other people do it. And I think, man, that's so unhealthy. To, to speak of because I wouldn't speak about my buddies bad behind their back mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. prefacing it. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say, Hey, I would say this in front of this person but whatever and then lay yeah. it out. Why would I do that about my wife? Mm-hmm. The person I care about most in the world. And and we had heard that here and I think that's a very healthy practice for couples is to never get in the habit of ever talking bad about your spouse mm-hmm. when they're not around. So transitioning more to children now, one of my greatest fears in life is that with our kids not growing up in the same financial situation as we did, and me and Leslie did not grow up in super hard times. That's not what I'm saying. We're just in a different financial bracket Mm -hmm. now. And how that might affect our kids. And I feel like kids are ingrained to be selfish naturally. So how did you guys practice What practices did you guys use with your kids to teach them to be selfless? Because I've been around your kids. I've seen people talk about your kids. And one thing that would never be said about your kids is that they're selfish.
0: you want to talk to that baby?
2: I would just say the word intentional comes to mind because (laughs) it is another thing that you have to be aware of it and be an intentional um, parent. When it comes to that, because our society today is we are all about ourselves and we can all be selfish. And we are the same way when we raised our kids. That was one of my biggest fears. I didn't want our kids. They had more than we had growing up. And I, I just thought they have a lot and they've been given a lot. And, and people at our church loved our kids and they would bless hmm. them with little gifts or big gifts or whatever it might be. But I always wanted them to be appreciative and never have so much that they forget what it's like to appreciate things. So I would say we really I really tried to work hard on that in things that we did and that yeah. Dave would do to try. I think, to, I think Beth, would,
0: you were always really good about encouraging them to always be grateful for anything that they got. They got a, you know, you, I say, if they got a stick of gum, they better be thanking those people. If they got something where somebody went out of their way, they, they better be writing them a note. And, and you ingrained that in them early, this spirit of gratefulness. It's unbelievable how it carries over into adulthood. And we didn't have much when we, when we started out, we, we were five of us living in a thousand square foot home here in, in Louisville in the first seven years. And, um, you know. We had a lot of friends who had a whole lot more. And I remember we had some friends that, that, uh, that were uh, wealthy. And the way we equated wealth back then was <laughs> they had two different cars. And they had a car seat in each car. <laughs> and in our mind, it was like, you know, oh, man, alive. I mean, we have to change our car seat from one over to the other. So that's what we were like. Whoa, man, this is unbelievable. And we're like, you don't have to switch it to another car. And they looked at me like it was crazy. Leslie like, no. would
1: definitely say we're not wealthy then because I keep saying we don't need two car seats Did for each car. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so the, the point is. We wanted them to know that they had to be grateful for them. And then whenever they got an opportunity, when somebody gave them an opportunity, uh, we wanted them to learn to pass it on. I, I remember going to a Reds game up in Cincinnati, and, and, and Chris Burke, Berkey was playing at the time. Whenever Houston would come, we'd try to go up and, and, and watch him play. And Sam got in this stretch, my, my youngest, where he was either on the jumbotron or he got a, a ball right every single game. OK, and uh, he could roll his stomach somehow and he would stand up on top of a, <laughs> a chair and during in between innings, they would find him and he would roll his stomach up and down. I guess he got that from Beth. She was a belly dancer when we met. <laughs> yeah. um, but they believed the college Sunday That's school class, true. didn't they? <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, I, I'll never forget one time when he, he got a ball and somebody were walking back to our car after the game is over and some guy from another state. And saw me and was talking to me and he had a young boy with him and that boy just was fixated on Sam holding that ball and uh, makes me cry to think about it. We walked off and Sam ran over to the kid and gave him the ball and he came back and I saw I didn't have the ball with him. I said did you give that kid your ball? He said yeah. Yeah. You know that's when you all of the practice and all the intentionality starts to pay off. Now there's plenty of times where our, our kids, you know, haven't done that. And there are plenty of times where, where we haven't been unselfish and, and generous like we should be. But you love it when you see, hey, maybe all this intentional work that we're doing, maybe they're catching it, you know, and um, they're, they're getting it. And so that's and the they're payoff.
2: they're going to learn it from us. If right. they see us putting the focus on other people and serving other people and doing for other people, then it's going to be easier for them to pick it up.
1: Absolutely. I
0: can't tell you how many times we've been in a restaurant and one of the kids would come over to us while while we're waiting for a table or something, they always say the thing, you know what I'm gonna say, don't you? They always say, Hey Dad, you're you're gonna get their meal. You're gonna get their meal, aren't you? You're gonna get their meal, aren't you? <laughs> right. And yeah. finally I realized, hey, this is not costing my kids anything. They're, right. very generous They're just coming over so going, Hey, you know what? You're, you're gonna yeah. you're gonna get that from right, right? And <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm gonna get it and do you wanna help out? You know. But it's cool when you start to see that they're getting it. And now, you know, you go to, uh, we, we are, we call our daughter in Evansville and, and sorry, I couldn't pick up. I I pick this homeless woman up and I, I, I take her to get something to eat sometimes, or I take her to church wow. or, uh, we called Sam one time and he was, he had all his buddies and they, there was a fast food restaurant and a worker that they talked to all the time and they were helping her move that day. And those are the times when you say, Okay, they're they're getting it. But if we don't model it and if it's not real in our lives as parents, they will never do it. Mm -hmm. They have to see us do it. And then when they see us do it and they see the joy that it brings us, all of a sudden they say, I want to have that joy. Mm -hmm. And they start to realize it's more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, They remember Jesus words. I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So how can we spend our lives with an external focus rather than an inward
1: focus. I love that. And the two main points I heard from both of you being intentional and modeling it yourself. And in our family, we try and live by Proverbs eleven twenty five. 25. He who mm-hmm. refreshes. Others will be refreshed yes. and a generous person will prosper because at times you can almost feel guilty. Like why did God put me in this financial situation? Why, mm-hmm. why do I not have to struggle, but others do financially. And uh, you can almost feel some guilt about it, like I played football i didn 't save lives i didn't you know it wasn't i wasn't out protecting the country when, when you consider those things you say wow well, why wouldn't it be, the situation be flipped financially when you think of the severity and the consequences and all that but uh one thing we are definitely trying to do to, with our kids is model generosity because th- you get joy from it and and when you refresh other people when you lift other people up when Sam gets his buddies to help him move and Savannah and Sadie, mm-hmm. when they pour into a homeless, I mean that's 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 rewarding, mm-hmm. and when they but when they see you get joy from it, then they will oh. in in turn get joy from it as well. I absolutely love those points. It's a little different world, and I don't. Dave already said his age, uh, fifty eight. He mentioned <laughs> that early, and, and you guys are not that much. We're old. For, yeah. <laughs> You guys are grandparents, but you're not that old. And Dave is not retired. He just transitioned into more work. what do he uh, say? Amen. What'd he say? Oh. <laughs> but in this world of technology we now live in, how would you two suggest as parents that we deal with technology because it's everywhere now?
0: Well, we didn't raise our kids uh, when our kids were younger, you know, with, with, um, uh, a whole lot of technology it it came the older they got yeah, they they had phones and kind of and all now. that but still it was pretty early on so I think you have to have uh limitations on screen time. I do think one thing we haven't talked about I think at meal time you know the phones go away meal time is the most important time in the life <laughs> of a family and if you can have dinner together four or five. Uh, days a week. It's the common thread with National Honor Society, with presidents of the United States and successful athletes. Wow. And it's it's across the board where that is the common denominator. And so there was a Harvard study that was done and um, they followed families around for I forget how many years it was. But the the, the findings were incredible. So I, th- I think the more we can get um, kids communicating and, and talking uh, rather than just looking at their screen, uh, you're preparing them for adulthood. And that's really what the role of the parent is, is to pass the spiritual baton, but also to prepare them for adulthood when, when they're outside of the house. So I want to teach my kids how to communicate with adults. I want them to be looking uh, Mr. and Mrs. Wood in the eye when, when they talk to them. I want them to take an interest. Whenever we'd have families over for, for dinner, uh, they were supposed to have two questions ready for every guest when they they sat down so that it wouldn't be all about them because we knew the guests would be saying, well, tell us what's going on in your life. So they made it about the other person. We were in Arizona a couple of weeks ago. And um, and sure enough, we sat down at the the meal and all of the kids had questions for us and they had thought about the questions for us. And they
2: did not have their phones out. They were not. That was not even an issue. So wow. obviously the parents had done a good job. At,
0: never at, picked their phones up the whole time, no time we were there. They
2: talked to us, engaged with us. It was beautiful to see. But it's also rare. Like that right. was a rare thing to see. Yeah. But I think to piggyback on that, I think again, we're teaching our kids by what they see us do. Hmm. And one of the saddest things for me is when we're out hmm. or I'm with other yeah. families and the parents are on their phones. Well. If they're not going to limit their time and so much distraction, when I see parents sitting there being on their phones and not really being intentional about talking with their kids and being with their kids and interacting with children, the kids are picking that up. And so it starts, as everything does, with the parents and what they're seeing modeled in front of them as far as time on and she's not Technology. talking about,
0: uh, you know, the phone call that you have to take in, in that dire situation or, oh, no. or checking this and, and, and <laughs> passing around this funny thing on Instagram or, or some, Instagram to some, someone that you all know. She's talking about the family of five who don't say anything the entire time. The and dinner. there's five, <laughs> five phones out and we look at each other. We're like, you got to be kidding me. And so we have to self-police ourselves as parents And, and, and then we, I think we have to have, uh, parameters on where they can go. I think the parents should be able to, uh, see anything that's, that's on there because the the kids are going to be exposed to things that we were never exposed to as kids. And we're going to have to get them to where we want to change their heart. We don't want to, we don't want robots. We don't want spiritual robots to go around and they do, this is what's right. This is what's right. If, if that's the way we approach it then when they're 18 years old or when they're out of the home they're going to do whatever they want to do what we want to do is we want them to understand this is why you make the right choice and yes you have freedoms on your phone that that we didn't have 20 years ago or 30 years ago but here's why you want to make that right choice and you're trying to get to the heart of the matter rather than just the you know it's kind of like a yes sir and, and no sir yeah we want our kids to do that but it's not because we want to look good as parents It's because we want them to show respect to an Mm -hmm. adult, and we want them to communicate that respect, that value, because, you know, God tells us very clearly we are to honor one another above ourselves. And so hopefully they're going to do that with everyone they come in contact
1: with. That's great. And and like you guys were alluding to, uh, technology is not evil. You know, there's yeah. there's, there's great value in what we can do now and how you can stay in touch with people and how you can utilize technology to encourage others to use a podcast and have this conversation. We can project it out. It's not inherently evil. It just can be distracting, and it can be – and you can't necessarily uh, trust your kids to make the right decisions uh, utilizing it without helping them along the way, and I love – Bring it back to their heart. Mm -hmm. Are you pouring into them in all areas? And then you can trust them more with the technology you give them. And one thing you mentioned is when they leave the house when they're 18, then they'll be more prepared if you had poured into them along the way. Mm -hmm. Your kids were obviously raised in a Christian household. They were raised through the church. But ultimately you want it to be your kid's own decision to be a Christian and to follow God. What's the balance between... Proverbs 22, 6, raise a child up in the way of the Lord and they won't stray from it, and letting it be their own decision.
0: So that verse is a, is a general principle. It's not a promise that 100 times out of 100 times that that's right. going to happen. But generally speaking, that is what is going to happen. But we have this thing called free will or free choice And that's where it gets complicated. And that's what shows us that God really loved us. And he wants us to reciprocate that love to him. Because if he just made us, as I just said, the spiritual robots to where, oh, well, I've got to choose this or I've got to love God. Well, uh, you know, we've been watching the crown um, during our coronavirus thing. And we feel so sorry for these people um, when you look at how kings and queens and how they're kind of forced uh, into who they're going to marry and who they can't marry right and if you think of from an allegiance standpoint it's the same way We, we want them to make the choice and so we can pave the way we can teach them we can show them what a real faith looks like of what we've experienced and why we made that choice but still at the end of the day when they enter adulthood they have to make that choice and um in each one of our kids' lives, it was a, a process that uh, came quick for some and longer for others, but it was a process in which they had to really wrestle with and say, okay, is this just my parents' faith? Because if it's my parents' faith, it's not going to get them through tough times. It's got to be their own personal choice. And so they make that choice. We try to give them the evidence of, of why we have chosen uh, to be Christians. But I, I personally think... This is a common theme that we're this is recurring throughout this podcast. The, m- the more real and genuine the parents are with their struggles, with their challenges, with the valleys and mountains of life, that's what's going to attract a person to Christianity. Because nobody's perfect. That's that's there's there's one Messiah per universe, and and you're right. not him. You right. know, so uh, we want to keep pointing them to the one. We don't have to be perfect. We, we just have to put our trust in the one who, who is
1: perfect. That's great stuff. And, Beth, I'll let you ask, uh, answer this one.
0: Make it a hard one. Give her a really hard <laughs> one, Eric.
1: This is a softball, but, nah. it's, but it's one I love and one that our kids are probably just a, a few years too young for, but I'm really looking forward to this. Talk about the trips that you guys would take the kids on individually. So not both parents single, one parent at a time, one child at a time.
2: Well, I would say Dave was the one was so great about that because of his schedule and what he did and being at churches and speaking and going places. He would make that a time. He would choose one of the kids, and they would get to go on a trip with him maybe age six.
0: We started about eight probably, but then it was I would choose my travel schedule based on the city and what my kids like to do. Mm Mm-hmm. And and Beth was so kind because she, you know, here I'd be taking these trips. And again, it didn't have to be anything flashy. I remember I went to only Illinois, to speak for entire hospital employees group. And I took my daughter. I said, "Hey, I'm going to bring my daughter with me. And we made no bones early on about taking our kids out of school for things. And we've never regretted that because every time we took our kids out, you know, going to be on a trip with their dad well, you know, are you sure you can do that? Well, that's what, that's what we're going to do. And right. because they're not going to remember squat from what was taught in algebra class in in seventh grade or eighth grade, you know, whatever yeah, they have a have calculator that. for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but they might remember something from an interaction with an adult or someone that they met. I can't tell you how many relationships grew up out of taking a kid with me somewhere. And Savannah they,
2: just told you the other day you were going to speak somewhere and she was talking about a pastor that she had met when she was a little girl and how he took an interest in her and just yeah. loved on her while they were there at that church at the time. And she said, I still remember that today. And wow. she's 31 years old. Yeah. And they would all make photo albums. They would take pictures on their little cameras. Disposable cameras, yeah, back cameras. cameras back then. They got, we're old. they got to get a camera. And then when they came home, they would. Put their little pictures in a photo of them. They still have all those to this day of trips that they would take. And it just gave that one-on-one time that you, mm-hmm. you get that time that's special with them. They'll open up to you and you get to talk about stuff that you normally don't get to do, you know, in the setting at home. So it was a sweet thing. And even
0: if music. there's a strain in the relationship, when you get in a car and you're going to be together, for uh the next 48 hours and you're driving three hours to nashville or you're you know going to buffalo or wherever it might be uh that's when they do open up and they give you a peek into their heart because there's not going to be anybody else to talk to and uh they make so many memories and all you're trying to do is make memories with them because the more memories you make the more that they they open up to you and uh you know, I always tell people there's there's three times where you really have a child's heart and you can talk into them. This is true whether they're five years old or whether they're 15. It's uh, travel time, going to and from school or ball practice or, you know, whatever. Uh, there's travel time, there's meal time, and there's bedtime. And uh, the extended travel time and the bedtime is when they really open their heart up because they feel secure in their own bed. And uh, when you tell them good night, you know, or pray with them or... Uh, just go to encourage and affirm them that's the time when they feel safe and secure and that's when when they might open up to you and I can't tell you see I get emotional thinking about these things you know (laughs) she'll say I'm going up to tuck one of the kids in and uh, you know I'm like okay great you know we're gonna have some time now and she'll go up and I think it's gonna be five minutes and she would come back down 30, 30 or 40 minutes later. And, you know, her eyes are squinting because she's been in darkness for 30 or 40 minutes. She looks like a possum coming back down, you know, the steps to me. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, baby, what happened? what happened? And she'll just look at me and she'd say, well, she she opened up. And uh, wow. yeah. And you have to be sensitive That's to those times. Time. And those are the times where they'll say things. They'll tell you their fears. They'll tell you their their worries. They'll tell you about the bully at school. And you just have to be there to help them through on that journey.
2: Man. So many times we w- it would be through prayer and asking God, give me wisdom to know what's going on inside their little hearts. Because be, there might be a behavior going on, they, they're acting out. And every time we would just ask God, give us that wisdom, help us to see what's really, truly hmm. going on. And it was a lot of times in those times that putting them to bed that they would open up and share. And then God gives you an opportunity to talk to Him about it. So that was always really sweet.
1: I love that. Okay, we're gonna get to some fun ones. Um, <laughs> all right, if you guys were given a million dollars that you had to donate all to one cause, and it's not a church, what would it be?
0: Wow. I wish I could split it up, but if I can't split it up,
2: there's lots of great ministries. Yeah, we there have that we so love. many
0: that we we love. I think I would probably. Um, I would I would give to Life in Abundance, which is uh, a ministry in Kenya, Africa. We've been there three or four times, and they actually they minister in eleven different countries, but they're reaching some of the poorest of the poor, and uh, they really look at it from a holistic point of point of view, spiritually, uh, vocationally, teaching them trades so that they are able to sustain themselves, and uh, that would be one or um, think
2: of Scarlet Hope. Well, that was your yeah. one, Dave,
1: so you only get one. Oh, okay.
0: So okay. Now, okay, okay. Now I'll say the other fast. one that we
2: love. I think it would probably be like Scarlet Hope, a ministry here locally that uh, reaches out to young girls and women that are caught up in the adult entertainment industry and helping those get out of that and have a life of freedom.
1: That's awesome. All right. Good we're at, we're at, That is a great answer. We are in this COVID-19 pandemic right now. And... Assuming that you guys have all of your family in the house already, if you had to add one person who is alive today to your family for this quarantined period, who would it be and why? Mm. I want an answer from mm-hmm. both of you, and then I will okay. tell you guys me and Leslie's answer. Anyway. Okay. No, I'd love okay. to hear that.
2: <laughs> uh, I would have to say because I've been home and doing projects around the house, I, would, I have a friend. Her name is Jillian. And she is a designer and works at Bassett Furniture. And I would have her come over and stay with me because we could have fun and we could decorate and we could get a lot of stuff done. I thought, it might cost me some I, money. I hope but. this is hypothetical. <laughs> when
1: you started, I thought you were going to say Joanna Gaines.
2: Oh, well, I would have, yes. But She's I don't like I Joanna. Could, yes. Oh, yes. I would have her, too. Anybody like that. We could have so much fun in this time. Yes.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'll give you my answer. And it's not spiritual, so it's not, you know moses or jesus or something (laughs) uh a a golf instructor who can help me with my putting i just think that would be great well i'll take any of them that's that's my point it wouldn't even have to be uh, it could just be a person that that works with a high school team that is a good putter that says hey here's three things things that you're doing wrong it could be eric wood Yeah,
1: That's- I don't know that you want me to work on your putting game with you. If you wanted me to come in and I don't even know what I could come in and teach you, uh, but. Uh, you could teach
0: me that. I'm just saying just for for two hours a day, let me putt at chair legs and things around the house and them help me. And uh, it would revolutionize my game.
1: That's funny. Yes. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's, so so it's really we, where my mind went.
2: Off and I can decorate. We
1: were actually both on similar pages. Um, oh, really? Good. I want to so hear So I'm not just saying this because we're here. Leslie's was Beth, and I'll tell you why. Oh, oh my. She, this is an unforeseen amount of time that we're in. We are recording this in week one or so of this quarantine period. So you could help keep the peace in our household. <laughs> Our kids would learn a lot. You're great with kids from what we've seen. And then also your decorating ability you could pour into Leslie and you're super organized and Leslie was like, So selfish that I'd <laughs> want all that and I said, Man Oh my goodness. I and said, I
2: would love that. Well, so i, I, I tell said, her, I'll be happy to come up.
1: <laughs> I said, Well, I almost feel really bad about my answer now because mine would be my buddy Josh Byram. He lives out of I played ball with him in college. He lives out of state, so we never see each other. I could potentially lock him down with us for a long time. He's just a ton of fun. He never has a bad day. He likes to play golf. He can play guitar. We would just have a blast. Have and so I was thinking fun. if we're, we're going to have awesome. an absolute blast. And then Leslie said, that is so selfish. I said, he has kids. He's great with kids. I said, you're friends with him with too. The kids for a I while. said, why is that selfish? And... uh we had a really good laugh about that, and I had asked her that before. I'd ever asked anyone that on a podcast, and I said, "Man, I got to start asking that on the podcast." It's a great I question. So I was kind
0: of selfish in my I answer too. So yeah, you're on. I, I thought was Eric was so going to say me. I really did. I thought, <laughs> I thought he, was he was setting it feel up.
2: Pressure that he would have to include yeah, you. Well, if I'm coming
0: over. Obviously, he didn't well, say was, me did or he, Chris Redman because he thinks fine. Chris did throws interceptions.
1: Dave would be <laughs> an absolute phenomenal choice. I my mind just went to Byram. And That's fine, Josh. Stop. Hey, stop.
0: I remember first Josh. Stop. That's great. It's a good choice. And when,
1: when Leslie said Beth, I was like, "Oh yeah, I should have put more thought." Just <laughs> well, kidding, Josh. Just kidding.
0: You pick Beth. It's kind of like picking Jesus. You oh, know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: All right. So these these are quick ones, and you guys have, are are familiar with the podcast. So hopefully, um, oh yeah, you guys you guys can knock these out of the park okay. quick. Uh, if you couldn't do what you do for a living, what would you do?
0: I'd like to be a comedian or uh, a peanut salesman at Great American Ballpark. I think if I had no pressure and I was a peanut salesman, I think I'd have a blast. I'd get to know my section really well, but I always wanted to be a comedian, so.
1: You could maybe do both.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: You've heard some of my (laughs) jokes on here, so (laughs) I think the peanut
0: salesman is probably looking better.
1: Well, and some of those peanut salesmen at Great American are Are comedians. comedians. (laughs) That's a good point. I would say,
2: growing up, I always wanted to be a nurse, so that's. Maybe, but on the other side I'd say probably a a designer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you I have a lot I'm of talent good. in that, I promise. What's your favorite book?
0: Hmm. I'd say uh years ago I read John Maxwell's The Twenty One Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And I learned so much at a very pivotal time in my leadership. It was probably twenty years ago. I've reread it and um I think it's out in several different forms even more recently, but great leadership principles.
2: Mind goodness, I'm not a big reader, but back when the kids were little, I read everything that had to do with parenting. So I had a lot of good favorite books then. I can't remember the titles. Um, But another one I read back then, it's been a while, was Redeeming Love, and that's still one of my favorite books um, to this day, Uh, just all about God's love by Francine Rivers
1: awesome. I love that. And I I love John Maxwell as well. He he's excellent. Mm-hmm. Um generally this is the point of the show where I ask what role does your faith play in your life. But we will skip that one cuz <laughs> we uh you've heard a lot of faith <laughs> yeah. and you all live it. I don't have to ask. Mm. You all live it out. What's your guys uh, individually? We'll start with Beth. What's your favorite restaurant in Louisville?
2: Bruce Chris. Hmm.
1: So If you listen to the Bob Russell podcast, so is Grace's. That's her favorite. I remember that. I remember that.
0: Uh, Sake Blue, Japanese restaurant on Bardstown Road.
1: Two excellent choices. Love it. What's your Skyline order?
0: What'd you get? Skyline
1: Chili is a famous chili spot from Cincinnati, where me and Dave are both from, but they actually do have them in Louisville as well.
2: Yes, I would say I get a three-way with extra sauce.
0: And I get a dry three-way with cheese on the side and a Coke. You get extra crackers. And I always get a bib because I I slosh it otherwise. But, yeah, there's nothing nothing like Skyline.
1: One of my favorite stories you tell about Skyline is that they wanted you to start mentioning on Sundays (laughs) when you were going to mention Skyline during your message because if (laughs) – if if you didn't mention it their sunday crowd was light they would have less servers yeah. and less people working in the kitchen but if you mentioned it, it they were going to blow up and they didn't know when it was going to happen and it would just it was just uh by chance if they would have enough workers or not and and I love I remember Christy
0: saying to me one time she said hey we really appreciate the business every time you say something People just subliminally they say, "Hey, let's go to Skyline today." She said, "I thank you so much, but, but please just tell me ahead of time if you're going to do it." I said, "I wasn't planning on it. I just threw it out there." Right, <laughs> that's so funny. I was hungry.
1: What was your first car?
0: Seventy-eight Pontiac uh, Catalina. Bought it from my dad.
2: I never owned a car. I drove my parents' car until we got married. And so, what car were you driving?
0: <laughs> ah,
1: I was Ooh.
2: driving a
0: new Firebird. That's yes. the only reason you married
2: That's me. That's right. That's right. How could I forget
1: that? <laughs> yeah, t tops on a mullet. Yep. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> the roasters That's at exactly your right. roast. The roasters at your roast <laughs> last year would love me asking you this question because they got on you about you gravitating towards famous athletes. But who's the most hmm. famous person in your guys' phones?
0: Hmm. You want to start? Who's the most famous person in your phone, baby?
1: I'd
2: say Leslie Wood.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Good answer. S-
1: yes. that's a good answer. I feel like I feel like I could scour it for someone more famous, but I appreciate that. <laughs> Maybe I probab- Eric, would. Eric, Eric Wood. Eric Wood. There you go.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I gravitate to athletes because I never got to I went into ministry and I just bypassed pro golf and football and basketball and basketball. And yeah. Or other things. I could bench press eighty pounds. That was also a factor. But uh I I think it would probably be Tim Tebow, probably is what you're looking for.
1: Super famous. Super famous in Tim Tebow. Uh what was your first job?
0: Oh boy, I was a laborer. My I did some I did tons of yard work things. You know, I had my own little yard work business and, you know, go around the neighborhood and try to pick up jobs that way. But I was a laborer. Uh, in a summer when I was in high school where I cleaned apartments, mowed lawns, worked on a drill, uh, uh, a drill, a peer, peer drilling rig. Um, and I, I worked harder than I ever worked manually in my life or since then.
1: Made you not want to do that. Oh, anyway. I said, this is
0: not for me. <laughs>
2: Besides babysitting, I worked for a company, um, Bix Department Store, downtown Louisville years ago. And worked in the shipping and receiving end of getting all the clothes that came in. And we'd have to organize them and price them and get them ready to go out on the floor.
1: And that's where you started your that. organizational <laughs> yes. yep. uh, prowess. Last question. Favorite movie?
2: Oh, I don't really have a
0: favorite movie. Oh, really? Well, from I don't. I'll give you time to think. What about Bob? It's Bill uh, Bill Murray movie from probably back 25 30 years ago and it's a classic for anyone who has to deal with people or work with people in their line of work and uh needy people and uh it's just a classic Richard Dreyfuss and and Bill Murray and one of the funniest ones I've ever seen
2: yeah and I really don't have a favorite movie but the most recent movie that I've seen that I really liked was
0: Little Women
1: gotcha so I have not seen either of those movies. And mm. this quarantine period might be a great time to there see both you go. of those.
0: <laughs> there you go. You're set.
1: Guys, I can't thank you enough for the time that you've given me and the listeners here today all of these nuggets that hopefully people will implement in their marriages and raising their kids that will transform lives similar to what all of that did for me and Leslie in our marriage and in our early stages of child rearing now.
0: We're honored to be on here. Thank you. We are.
1: We love you you guys and are so proud of you all.
0: And you guys are great role models, and you're great role models in your marriage, uh, in in your parenting, and in your faith. And uh, I thank you for the impact that you're having
1: out there. Thank you guys very much. Throughout my NFL career, I worked with many custom clothing companies. Guys would come from around the country and set up shop in our facility and try and sell us clothes, and no one has compared to someone I work with locally in Louisville, Jordan Yoakum with Tom James. He is an expert concierge that can save you time. You know, I don't even have a full-time job right now, and it's hard for me to go to the mall and pick out clothes or to order something online, and it generally doesn't fit, and then I either got to go get it tailored or me and my wife got to go send it back. Put an end to that. Jordan works within a 100-mile radius of Louisville, Kentucky, and he will come to you with the clothes, and it's great. You can contact Jordan at j.yocum at tomjames.com or visit the website tomjames.com for more info. Let Jordan create a game plan with you for your wardrobe, just like we did preparing for NFL defenses, but instead of attacking defenses, you'll be attacking your next business meeting, wedding, or derby event in style. The cutoff for Derby Week clothing is March 15th. That's j.yocum, Y-O-C-U-M, at tomjames.com. And when you contact Jordan, make sure you tell him Eric Wood sent you. Thank you for listening to What's Next with Eric Wood. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please rate it five stars and subscribe. That goes a long way for us with this podcast. Tune in in a couple weeks for another new episode.